This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. a PhD candidate in biological anthropology here at the Graduate Center. I interviewed Dr. Melissa Wansin Wong, who received her PhD in the GC's Theater and Performance Program. She is now the Director of Institutional Relations at the Museum of Chinese in America. In this episode of Alumni Allowed, Melissa tells us about her path into the nonprofit world, finding a work culture that fits you, and the benefits of finding mentors outside of academia. So we can just start with who you are, what GC program you graduated from, and what you're doing now. Okay. Hi, my name is Melissa Wanson Wong. So I'm an alumna of the Theatre and Performance Program at the Graduate Center. And at present, I'm the Associate Director of Institutional Relations at the Museum of Chinese in America in New York City. Cool. And can you trace the journey from end of the PhD to where you are now? How did you get here? Wow. I think I can trace that journey even before I finish my PhD. So let me think back. So I think two years before I finished my PhD, while I was writing my dissertation, I realized that I'm probably not going to be an academic. I'm probably not going to go on a tenor track search. And there were a couple of reasons for this, right? So the first reason was that I knew that I wanted to stay in New York City. I'm an immigrant and my husband is also an immigrant. So we have actually made very big life changes to be in New York City. I have been in New York City for about 15 years now. So when I was about to finish my PhD, I've been in the city for more than a decade. I've built communities, you know, I really love the city. I'm very comfortable in a multicultural city. So I don't really foresee myself um, taking a job just for the sake of the job, regardless of location. So that's extremely important to me. And at that time, I already also had a daughter. So we were very, very settled in our home life here. And as you know, Carly, it's very, very difficult to find a tenant track job if you're picky about the location. It's even (laughs) very difficult if you're not picky about the location. Right, right. Right, So, so that's when I thought that I better look at other options. Another thing that, took me away from the tenor track was my experience of writing the dissertation. I love teaching, I love research, I love writing, but for me, writing the dissertation was a very, very lonely process. And I really discovered that I loved working with people. I love being in a very interactive environment. That's the reason why, even as I was in graduate school, when I was writing the dissertation, I was always interested in volunteering for board positions, for committees, and so on and so forth. And I really loved that kind of work. And I love teaching, but I thought, okay, like putting all these factors together, are there any other alternatives for me? And I started actually going to a lot of the events that's been organized by the Office of Career Planning, started to think about alternatives in the nonprofit 
what are my strengths? Uh, what are my alternative, I wouldn't say alternative skill set, but transferable skill set. And I actually met a lot of people at the Graduate Center at these events that led me to my current career. And I can actually trace the people who helped me get there. All connected to the Office of Career Planning. So I'm super, super grateful to the office. And, and that's why I'm really delighted to be talking to you today. So I was at an event and actually met Effie McLaughlin. And I, so she is the Director of Grants and Research Programs at the CUNY Office of Research. She was talking about her job as a panelist. And after the event, I went up to her to kind of ask for her advice and, you know, if there are any paths for me outside of academia. And she actually introduced me to her colleague at the CUNY Foundation, Dan Sietmund, who introduced me to my current boss. <laughs> because Dan actually worked for my current boss, Nancy Yao Masbach, who's the president of Museum of Chinese in America. So that's how I got my job, really. <laughs> so that was interesting. But it wasn't, of course, a linear track, right? Because when Dan introduced me to Nancy at MOCA, um, we actually talked on and off for about a year before she finally hired me because of various reasons, you know, of, I guess, staff numbers and budgets and so on and so forth. And during that one year, I actually met an alumna from the Graduate Center. She's from the PhD program of musicology, and she is now the director of development at the Kaufman Music Center. So Brooke Bryant was also a panelist at another event that the Office of Career Planning organized. And when that event happened, I knew based on some assessments that I have done with Emily. She's a career coach at the Graduate Center. So I did some career assessment with her and I realized that I was very much interested in development of fundraising. I've actually done quite a bit of grassroots fundraising on my individual projects in my past career as a theater professional. And I've kind of forgotten about that. I didn't really think of that as a full-time career until the assessment. And then I did some further research and got really excited about it. And at that moment, I met Brooke. And she was instrumental in really giving me lots of advice and introducing me to professionalization organizations pertaining to fundraising. So in the year when I first met my boss, I started developing a lot of these, I guess, skills through the professionalization organization. And by the time I officially interviewed for my position, I was ready to really clinch the deal, if you want to put it that way. And you can see from my story that, that the Graduate Center was instrumental, really, in, in helping me kind of career transition from an academic path to a non-academic path that still strongly utilizes my, the skills that I have learned and accumulated during my you know, graduate studies. So you're now working at the Museum of Chinese in America. What does that entail? Like, what does a day or a week in the office virtually nowadays look like? Right. There are a lot of Zoom meetings. Yes. <laughs> uh, so my job is to garner funding for the programmatic needs of the museum. So I work internally with the program directors and the program personnel 
So I work with collection staff, exhibition staff, education staff, public program staff, as well as, you know, the executive committee of the museum to think about strategies to garner funding for each different department. And what I do is I match the mission and the programmatic opportunities of the museum with potential funders from the institutional side of things, right? So in development, there's two big buckets. So there is individual giving where you work with donors, major donors, as well as donors that give you smaller amounts of annual gifts and institutions. So I work on the institutional side of things. So I match the programmatic needs of the museum with the mandate of corporate foundation and government partners. Going back to what a day looked like, there are lots of meetings talking about, you know, how we could best fit our mandate with that of the institutions. There's a lot of grant writing. And I think one of the reasons why I got this job is because of the writing skills, right, that I, I practice and fine-tuned in my time at the Graduate Center. There is a lot of data analysis. That is one thing that I learned on the job. There's a lot of looking at spreadsheets, numbers, filtering information, and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of talking to people, like talking internally to program people, talking to external partners, foundations, corporations, and the, all three levels of government. So in the MOCA institutional giving portfolio, we're, we're very lucky to have the support of all three levels of government agencies, federal, state, and city. So it's very exciting. I've learned a lot and the day is never boring. It's, it's very, very full. <laughs> yeah. And I think for people thinking about working in small culturals or small nonprofits, something to think about is that it's always a struggle financially and in terms of manpower and capacity because everybody's trying to do so much with so little. And with a lot of nonprofit, small nonprofits, we're always at the brink of not having enough cash flow for the next month. Right. <laughs> very nerve wracking. So, so what's been great is that these foundations are seeing that it's not sustainable. And they're really also trying on the foundation side of things to reorganize and relook at their own grant making practices to see how they could better help sustain small cultures like ours. So did you go into the PhD wanting academia? That's what you were aiming for? Or did you already kind of have a notion that maybe I'll do something else even at the beginning? That's a great question. And to be honest, when I went into academia, yes, I was thinking about academia as a career path, as a very attractive career path. But I know now that I wasn't one of the students who was dead set on it. So even from the very beginning, I think I was okay if the academic path did not work out. And one of the reasons I applied for the PhD, because of course I really enjoyed it, I really enjoyed the process, but it was also because it was a very expedient way of uh, renewing <laughs> my student visa. <laughs> So I came to the U.S., to New York City, to do my M.A. Six months into the program, I realized that I wanted to spend more time in the United States. 
And that's also a key reason why I applied for the PhD. It was just very expedient. <laughs> so that's the honest answer. I cannot even imagine having to deal with all of that. So was that something you also had to worry about when you were applying for jobs down the line? Or did you still have to have a company that sponsored you? That is a really, really good question. And, you know, it's quite a different situation for me because by the time that I was finishing up my PhD, I have been already married for, I don't know, half a decade maybe. And I actually married an immigrant that his company was sponsoring, we didn't have to worry about my status. So I think I'm quite lucky in the sense I didn't have to worry about the visa. I think it's not the case for a lot of students uh, with student visas. And I think it's very, very difficult for students with student visas to actually work for a small nonprofit because they don't have the funds to, to hire an international person. So what was the biggest difference for you going from grad school to the quote unquote real world? What was that transition like? And what was the biggest thing that you had to get used to that you weren't used to? It's very fast paced. I'm not so sure whether it's the same with all organizations, but at our organization, there's a lot of work and there's not enough capacity like most nonprofits. So a lot of us are wearing two to three hats. So, you know, we have something to do every single minute. But I believe that in grad school, you have more time to reflect. You have more time to think through things. And something that I miss about grad school in my job is that there's very little time to reflect on what you're doing because you're always trying to chase the next deadline, right? And you're always beholden to other people. I think in grad school, something that I liked and was also an impediment for me because of my personality was that when I'm just responsible for myself and writing the dissertation, I procrastinated a lot and I really hated myself for it at the end of the day. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why Carly, I was telling you about the loneliness of writing the dissertation for me. Uh, and I think part of it's because it's very difficult to write a dissertation, right? It's a very... You know, it, it's a process. And when you're only responsible for yourself, you procrastinate because it's so difficult. But when you're beholden to other people, right? When your colleague says, I need this by 11, because if you don't give me this, I'm not going to be able to do that. Or when a six-figure grant is, is due, you have to do it. Because if not, you know, the, um, the museum doesn't get $100,000 or something like that. You're like, oh my God, like, you know, <laughs> my head is on the line, so I have to do it. So I think that's the biggest difference. But actually, I like it because it actually takes me out of my normal, very languid mode of doing things. And I think for my personality, I need that kind of push. If not, I just, I'll just be staring at the page and the computer all day long. So I, I think that's the biggest difference. And another big difference, again, like I've said before, it is very interactive and I really enjoy that. There's a lot of teamwork. There's a lot of talking about strategy, talking about, you know, long and short-term goals, which is very invigorating. And often in the dissertation writing process, you're really talking to an audience of one, as you know, which is your dissertation advisor and maybe your committee members. And, you know, it, there are a lot of great in-depth conversation that happens, but it's, you know, it's just a very different experience. Absolutely. So you mentioned you 
work with a lot of different people and it's interactive. What are the backgrounds of some of the people you work with? Are there other people from grad school? Is there kind of a big mix of different people with different backgrounds? And how does that kind of play into the work culture of the organization? Yeah, sure. So I work in a minority majority organization and that's been really comfortable for me because you know I'm a minority in this country. And so we have a lot of similar kind of cultural affinities, right? So it's very comfortable uh, working with them. And that actually reminds me of the idea of fit when you're looking for a position. So I sent out about 40 resumes, I think over two years. I was shortlisted for about 10 uh, and I made it to the final face-to-face interview about four to five. And I think the reason why I got this job was not just because of my skill set, but it's because of the fit, right? So I could talk about the mission. I had an affinity with the staff members and so on and so forth. So that's one thing. In terms of the backgrounds of the other staff members, they're mostly from the humanities because it is a cultural organization. So people who have a background in the arts and culture, in collections, in, in art history. Our president, she actually started out in the theater and then she went to basically get her MBA and she also worked in other kind of like foreign policy organizations. She was a banker. So, you know, she has all this merit of experiences that enable her to be a really good president. But I think what we all share in common is really our belief in the, in contributing to the diverse narrative of the United States, right? Like what does the American story mean? What does cultural identity mean? What does national identity mean? So these are all the things that we have in common. I think that's very common in a lot of nonprofits, right? Where you share a deep belief in the mission that enables you to do your work. How was the job search and interview process like for you? Was there anything that surprised you in interviews or, you know, how did you approach job searching and looking for positions? I actually went to the websites of organizations I was interested in. And I also applied based on positions that was open at that time. And I joined a professional organization called Women in Development. And through Women in Development, I met a lot of development professionals who were very, very generous with their time and advice. So I actually organized or I asked for informal interviews that was extremely important in my process. I believe I spoke to about 20 people through informal interviews, informational interviews over two years. And people are so generous. I think perhaps a tip as well for job seekers who are looking to leave academia. You'll be surprised by how willing people are to talk to you, especially if they're in senior positions. They really want to give back and in some ways nurture and give opportunities to the next generation of potential professionals in their field. So don't be afraid to ask. I think 90% of people I asked said yes. And some of them referred me to job listings or they would refer me to people who are looking to hire. And that's how I got the majority of my face-to-face interviews. So cold resume and cover letter sending, not so successful. Referrals, much more successful. At least they're willing to talk. And I think I went for about five face-to-face interviews. And every single interview I went to, I think I just got better and better at kind of representing myself, what my skill set are. And also really understanding through these interviews what I really want and what my strengths are. And 
being able to convey that better. And the interview that I went through for my present job is quite different because like I've said, I actually talked to the president a year ago before I, I got the job, but there wasn't any position for me. So I offered to volunteer. So that was also key. And because I volunteered, they knew what I was capable of. So volunteering enabled me to show that. So when there was a position available, they asked if I was interested and I went for a formal interview, went through the formal process and I got hired. But before I was hired, I was already volunteering for them for like just being on top of their radar. And when something opens up, first on their minds. What was the interview process like in terms of what you would expect in an academic interview versus outside of academic and you know, having to convert a CV into a resume and all of these kind of things? Yeah, in terms of the CV to a resume, Emily Seaman was instrumental in helping me do that. Again, from the Office of Career Planning, the Graduate Center, a big shout out. And with that resume, I applied to lots of jobs. Yeah. So again, you know, it's like from a 15 page CV to a two page resume. Right. Yeah. I think the key is also thinking about what job you're applying for and really highlighting the transferable skills. Yeah, absolutely. I guess you kind of touched on this a little bit, but what skills did you gain or refine during the PhD that are still important in your current position and that perhaps current students can work towards if they want to get into nonprofits or just outside of academia more generally? I think we downplay or we underestimate our abilities to function outside of academia. You know, we think we're so honed in that we don't have enough transferable skills or we don't have these so-called hard skills, right? You know, that the so-called professional, you know, outside academia world needs, but that's not true at all. What I realized as I was interviewing, and especially when I started my job, is that my PhD really helped me excel at my job. And I think that's why I'm valued in my organization. And these skills are project management, right? And attention to detail. And of course, writing and analysis, right? Which is what all I PhD alumni possess, right? But project management is huge. I, I think we underestimate how difficult it is to kind of manage a dissertation project, right? From interviewing people and you're doing it all on your own. You don't have a team, it's you, 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 you. But it's a really complex project, right? To complete a dissertation. It's not just about writing. It's about managing the research process thinking about how to articulate something, thinking about how to rearrange this manuscript, which is, you know, which is so detailed and in-depth and complex. And, you know, that's really very transferable to a lot of different job descriptions and needs. Attention to detail is big as well for my job, right? So I really have to kind of look at very specific criteria from the grant makers and making sure that I fulfill all that. Because as you know, the grant seeking process is so competitive. If you don't get all your ducks in a row, you're dismissed immediately because there's a lot of other people who are going for the same funding. So that's important as well. Oh, and something else I forgot, which I discovered, is that our teaching experience is huge. And actually a non-teaching and non-academic career because your ability to manage a class, you know, of 15 to 30 to 40 people and your ability to 
in some ways lead a conversation, a very in-depth conversation. Being able to manage groups, that's huge, right? That's really enabled me to to lead meetings, lead projects on Zoom, as well as in person. And being able to talk to people, being able to articulate perhaps very complex ideas in a way that's understandable to most people uh, who are not specialists, right? Including funders who might or might not know your, your, your work in depth. So, so that's really key. Yeah, and I, I do believe that we have a lot to offer. It's just that we are not presenting that well enough when we, you know, when we're interviewing yeah, you look at this like 15 page CV and you're like, I've done nothing. And it takes an objective external person to be like, there's 15 pages here. You clearly have. And no, not everyone has done this. But we're like, so ingrained to always be thinking about the next grant and the next publication. And it's hard to reflect on what you actually have done. In- seems obvious but is a lot of times not for grad students yeah for sure and i think there's one thing i want to add as well in terms of the job seeking process and just you know your career development process inside and outside of academia it is really finding i don't know like reaching out to mentors potential mentors and sponsors people who open doors for you when you're trying to become an academic, when you're trying to go on tenure track, you have your professors as mentors. And I think when you're seeking a career outside of academia, you should also seek mentors outside that would be able to help you get a job or even after you get your job to kind of still support you in some way. And I think I was very lucky with my gestation advisor because he was very, very keen on me getting an academic job, but he also supported me when I told him that I'm looking at alternative paths. And he actually introduced me to another professional at a graduate center. Her name is Helen Cole. Um, she's the director of strategic initiatives. She's a PhD uh, who was a fundraiser, who also led cultural nonprofit, and eventually she's now at a graduate center. And she would take me out for lunch. She would check in on me every couple of months to see how I was doing in my job set. And she would basically give me a lot of career advice and be very encouraging. And I think this really helped me to kind of carry on, like amidst certain disappointments or kind of roadblocks. And she introduced me to people. So it's really about seeking people, networking, and not be afraid or shy to ask for help. And yeah, people are really generous and they open doors for you. So I think there's something you should think about as well. I think we'll start wrapping up. Is there anything else you want to add or anything we haven't touched on yet that you wanted to speak on? Just to round up, I think the three things that was really helpful for me, networking, finding the right fit, and just being very confident about the fact that your PhD is a big asset. Actually, when I was looking at job descriptions, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm overqualified and underexperienced. experienced <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be so tough. But it's really having confidence that your PhD experience counts in and outside of academia, and you just need to present that. That's a wrap for this episode of Alumni Allowed. I want to thank Melissa for sharing her experiences working in the nonprofit world and at the Museum of Chinese in America. Remember to stay tuned for more episodes of Alumni Aloud, published every two weeks during the fall and spring semesters. Subscribe via Apple or Google, and you'll automatically be notified of new episodes. 
Also, check out our Twitter and career planning website at cuny.is careerplan for more updates from our office and to make appointments with our career counselors. Thanks for listening and see you next time.